This is Truth Talks. So here we are at the end of this class. I know for some of you it's probably praise the Lord. I won't have Pastor hounding me with all these verses anymore. Uh, I hope I hope that's not the case, but I'm sure reality is reality. So uh, let me open us a word of prayer, and uh, I'm excited to kind of discuss where we're at in this class and kind of bring a sense of finality to it and. Uh, We still have a lot to learn, praise the Lord. Father God, we are humbled by the privilege that we have to know you. We do not deserve it. You are an amazing God, all-powerful, all-sovereign, and yet all-merciful and gracious to us. Lord, we uh, stand in awe of your loving kindness. We are overwhelmed by your forgiving spirit. And so, Father, thank you for your patience with us, your long-suffering nature. Thank you for your word, which uh, not only guides us and guards us, but grounds us to Christ. Thank you for the hope of the gospel in the midst of a difficult study like this that has revealed so much of our sin and inadequacy. And Lord, uh, it has not been easy, and yet it has been so helpful to see ourselves rightly is so important. Thank you for your word that is the mirror that in just reflects our soul like nothing else. Thank you for this class, how that has happened, and thank you for the hope of the gospel that not only points out all of our weaknesses and our failures, but also uh, proclaims our great help and hope in Christ. Thank you that we are not left to our own devices, but by your sovereign will and your providential plan, you have promised to make us holy. May that be really an ending Uh, promise that we cling to as we continue to persevere in our pursuit of purity. Help us in that endeavor now, we pray in this last class, ultimately for the glory of your name. We want to proclaim your name through how we live, act, and think. We want our lives to be a declaration of your glory. And uh, Father, we know we can't do that without you. So glorify yourself in us and through us, for you are worthy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, we're just going to jump right in just because there's a number of things I want to do tonight, and I just want to jump right into the notes. Uh, Because it's the last class, I don't want to cut you off um, if there's something you want to say or whatever, so now's your chance because, you know, I'm hopeful and planning to see this class perpetuate on multiple levels and in multiple churches that are represented here, Um, but uh, for this um, segment of our our class time, our calendar, this is the end of the eight-week study, and it is amazing to me that we've gotten to this point so quickly, but uh, there's a lot I want to get through tonight to kind of bring a sense of finality and clarity, and I want to leave us hanging and uh, in any way. So let's jump in right into uh, page one on these... uh, Notes for chapter 9 and 10. Now, in the email I sent you, hopefully you all got that and read that. I'm not really planning on doing much with chapter 10 because chapter 10, which was really helpful, was very self-explanatory and very uh, group-oriented, right? He deals with uh, married couples. He deals with single couples. And so there's there's a lot of specific helps in there depending on where you fit in that 
a specific category, uh, but I didn't feel like there was really a, a whole lot of fodder there for us in this class. I really wanted to focus on chapter 9 and then the kind of the, some of the major lessons we've learned in the uh, book and in the class as a whole. So that being said, on page 215, Dr. Street says that the Bible is sufficiently exhaustive to deal with serious sexual compulsions. Do you honestly believe that statement? And if so, what objective proof is there in your daily walk that would substantiate your claim or conviction? So he makes this very audacious claim that the Bible is sufficiently exhaustive, that's a pretty big claim, to deal with serious sexual, and I like the fact that he uses the word compulsions, because if you deal with sin at the compulsion level, you kill it before it gets to the action level, right? That's the wisdom in his wording here, okay? So I, I pulled that out and said, oh, we need, to, we need to sit on this for a minute. Do you believe that? Do you believe that statement is true? And remember, uh, biblically, try to align your life biblically. We are so flippant in our language, especially in our walk with Christ. How sad it is for way too long that we say we believe things when we really don't. That's the truth. It's easy to give lip service, but remember Christ takes no lip service. He doesn't, that's what Saul did in 1 Samuel 15, right? I've obeyed the Lord. No, you haven't. Your heart is as far away from the Lord as it is. And what does Samuel tell Saul? God doesn't care about your lips. He cares about your heart. And then quoting right out of that multiple times in the prophets, Isaiah. And then that <laughs> phrase is repeated throughout the Gospels multiple times as Jesus looks at the Pharisees. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We do that all the time. Say we believe this, but we really don't. Why? Because belief in the Bible always, always is inseparably linked to action. To action. To say you believe something and not act upon it is proof that you don't believe it. Okay? So belief in the Bible always deals with three specific areas. Deals with the, the mind, the heart, and the hands. The mind, the heart, and the hands. You can, it's, true belief is mental, it's it's. It's emotional, meaning heart, and it's volitional, meaning life. If you take any one of those three out of the, com out of the com uh, component of faith, you don't truly believe. And that's where so many people are false believers. They believe something about Christ in their mind, but it has never impacted their heart. And the proof of that is it never comes out in their life. It doesn't change the way they live. So belief without change is no belief. Okay, The Bible calls that false belief. So before we make our, you know, I believe that, that's why I said, okay, what in your life proves that you believe that, right? You believe the Bible is sufficient, okay, prove it. Give me some specifics in your life or in the life of the person, if you don't want to get too personal, if we're, we're starting too quickly here, getting to the prickly already, but if you don't want to make it about you, make it about your neighbor, all right? <laughs> If Craig, really if Craig really believes this about the Bible, what will Craig's life look like? Because, again, I'm going for the juggler here. It's the last class. So we're, I'm, bringing it, I'm bringing it all down to the point where we need to be. If we're going to really do this, if we're really going to fight sin in general and sexual sin specific, we've got to be serious about this. And that's why we're starting right here because this is really getting to the heart of the matter. 
So you tell me, what, what will that look like? Let me ask you a question. Where do you turn? Where do you turn? Like, what's your first uh, point of, of relation, or where do you go when life falls apart? Where do you go when you fall apart? What is your guard? Where does your, you know, what is your guide? Who do you think of? Where do you turn to? Most of us, we go to Barnes and Noble, we go to Amazon, we go, you know, we go to the bottle, we go to the screen, right? I mean, so before you say, yeah, I believe that, Pastor. No, you don't. Let's be honest. If you did, you wouldn't do that, right, as a perpetual part of your life. That's why, you know, this book is so helpful because it deals at the heart level. And that's where, at, at the end of the day, as a pastor and a counselor and somebody who's taking the class with you, so I'm looking at myself in the mirror as I go through these notes with you and deal with this. At the end of the day, the issue is what we're going to see in a minute with James chapter 1. We just don't do what we know we're supposed to do. And having counseled so many guys through this issue in particular, it's amazing how many times guys have eventually come back to me, sometimes after counseling them for years in the sense of dealing with it. And they've come back and they say, yeah, I finally just realized I just need to stop it. It's like, yeah, you do. You do. End of discussion, right? Because isn't that what the Bible says? Isn't that what we've heard in this book how many times, right? And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty serious. All right, I can tell that was too prickly for you, so we're going to move on. I'll warm you up a little bit more, and then we'll get prickly again in a minute. Let's read James chapter 1, verses 19 to 25. Let's, let's look at this from another angle, more specifically in Scripture. James chapter 1, verses 19 to 25. As I was thinking through this chapter and the end of the book as a whole, I was really wrestling with, okay, how can we bring this to a point of clarity and finality as it pertains to the centrality of, of our greatest source of strength and help, which is the Scriptures. And uh, this, is, this is, I just immediately went to James and said, yeah, we need to camp out here because we, we didn't spend a lot of time in James earlier on. So who will read verses 19 to 25? Go ahead, Mark. One, chapter one. Yeah, chapter 1, 19 to 25. That's good. So explain why this passage is probably one of the most important in your pursuit of purity or in your, more specifically, your fight against sexual sin. Why is this passage, of all the ones we've looked at, this would be in the top five for sure? 
Yeah, right? He says you got to act on it. You can't just think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, Greg. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. Keep going. Anybody else? What, um, in James, well, let me ask you this. In this two paragraphs, what are they really talking about? What's the, what's the whole point? Because um, this is where it gets confusing for some guys in just in how you interpret James. When he starts in verse 19, he's talking about uh, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Like, what is he talking about there? Is he talking about just your general conversation? Is he talking about just as you ebb and flow through life, you should be a type of person that doesn't talk a whole lot and that listens to everybody? Is that really what this verse is talking about? Go ahead, Dustin. Okay. Okay, yes. In a general sense, it's still it's under that heading in chapter 1. You know, count it all joy, brothers. Yes, in that sense. But more specifically, how do you endure those trials? Um, is, it, is he saying, so you can endure trials just by being a quiet person and not talking a lot? Um, is he talking about you're asking for help, but you need to listen instead of talking and making excuses. And then don't just angry with what the person says. Tell them you're wrong, but actually take it to heart. Okay. You're, you are like so close. Yes. Listen to who? The Word of God. He's talking about being slow to speak against the Word. This is what this whole passage is about, the implanted Word, right? Now you start to see how important this is when it compares to fighting sexual sin. He's saying as the Word of God goes out, be careful that you're not going, no, that's not right. No, I don't need that. No, that's not enough. No, I'm not going to do that. He's like, no, no, don't do that. Be slow to speak and just listen to it. So, and I asked you on your, on your notes to help you, kind of guide you into this. Verses 19 to 21 could be summarized in what way? Really, in a short phrase, in one word, uh, two words, three words. What would it be? Go ahead, Brian. Okay, humility. Yep. What else? Okay, stop and listen. Okay. Listen, listen and do could be two words for those two paragraphs, couldn't it? Right? Listen and do what? Be specific. Listen to the word, do the word. That's, ex- that's what this is talking about here. He's not talking about general conversation, though the application is there, right? We could go to Proverbs and pull out 45 verses that talk about being slow to speak and and quick to hear. 
So that truth is there. But specifically in this context, in this verse, in this passage, in this book, he's talking about the implanted Word of God. The whole thing is about the Word of God. As the Word speaks, whether it's through the sermon, whether you're reading it in a passage, whether you're dealing with, let's just get really uh, specific, and you're dealing with your pornography or your fornication or your you know, self-satisfaction, whatever it is, and you hear the Word because you're convicted of your sin, right? And that's the Word of God that's coming back up through the power of the Holy Spirit because of what you already know to be true. And what do you do? You sear your, you sear your heart and say, I'm not going to do that. You're turning away from it. You're not listening to it. And you're, and you're listening to it, but you're not acting upon it. And every time you do that, it's like another onion over that heart. It's so, so sad. That's why this passage is so applicable. And he's saying, no, no, don't do that. Isn't it interesting, too, when he talks about be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger. How often we get angry at the Word. How often we get angry at God in how we respond, right? Think, who are the quintessential, this is going to come up in my sermon on Sunday, but who is the quintessential illustration of those who were quick to speak, slow to hear, and always angry at the Word. The Pharisees. The Pharisees. The Word of God, the living Word of God is before them day and night. And what do they constantly? He speaks the Word. He, he not even speaks it. He lives it. He demonstrates it. He heals. He demonstrates His power. He demonstrates His, uh, his deity, His humanity. He demonstrates everything. And they're just like, ah, that's not, He's not the Messiah. Just quick to just go against him and what? Get angry. And the anger of man, what? Does not produce the righteousness of God. And so, again, if you think that's not what he's talking about, watch what he says, verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and, and rampant wickedness. I think that's some direct application to where, what our, our study. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. It's the point. It's receiving what? Receiving the instruction that comes from the Word, which he started already all the way back in verse 18, where he talks about by the Word of God. It's the Word that God uses in regeneration to bring new life. And that's really was the transition point to this section on the Word. And so in your notes, what does verse 19 and 21, 19 and 20 and 21, what do they have to do to do with each other? How do they go together? How would you break those down? We've already established that the first paragraph is about hearing the Word or listening to the Word, and the second is about doing the Word or living the Word. Now, how would you break down 19, 20, and 21 in its relationship to one another? What does 19 have, and, and what is 20, and what is 21? It's really pretty clear in the text if you're going to study it, study it out. What, what is it? Okay. Okay. All right. Now, what about what about verse nineteen? How would you describe that? Okay. So, what is verse nineteen? Yeah. So it's an it's an indicative with with an imperative uh, with an imperative um, sense to it, where it's like a command. This is what you're supposed to do right? You're to listen to the Word. You're to be slow to speak against it. 
So I put out, just out to the side, this is what I'm supposed to do. But notice in verse 28, how does, what is the first word in the ESV in verse 28? What is the first word? For. For almost always, especially in the New Testament, is almost always a Greek con- uh, connective that usually will give you the reason for something. It's explanatory. So this is what I'm supposed to do, verse 19. Now he's going to say why. Why? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So if I'm not listening to the word, if I'm, if I'm constantly speaking, I can do this myself. I don't need your help. I'm, we're all good. And all these things, all these lies that we embrace, then it's only going to bring anger. And that anger is not going to produce the righteousness of God, which is ultimately what we're pursuing, right? It's holiness, and so out from that is, that's the why. That's, that's what we're, that's not only what we're supposed to do, but why. And then the therefore, verse 21, is what? How do I do this? How do I listen to the word? And how do I uh, find, uh, produce the righteousness of God? By putting away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and by receiving with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, what are three just from that, what are, and you could come up with about 10, I think, what are three specific connections or applications from our study so far in this book, just from that right there, that you would say, yeah, this connects exactly to fighting sexual sin in these three ways? What would those be? And, you, and, and just look at verse 21 if you want to get really specific. Go ahead, Talon. Yes. Yep. We haven't even got to that section, but you're spot on. You're exactly right. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. Hold that thought because that you're, We're going to talk about the man that looks in the mirror. But just in verse 21, what are three practical steps, applications, implications? All right, stop doing it. Look, I mean, therefore, what's, what's, what's after therefore? What's the first thing? Put away, right? What's Colossians 3, 5? Kill, sin, right? Same thing. How many times have we heard this, right? Again, it's the same command. It's the same reality. Like, I, I love the clarity of Scripture. It just, it's not, well, in this, cha- in this verse over here, we got to do this, and in this verse over here, we got to do this. No, it's the same thing in every verse, right? No matter what book you're in, it's kill sin, put off sin, stop doing sin, right? And you're like, that's too sim- simple. No, it's not. That's the clarity of Scripture. This is the command. This is the call. Put it away. So this is, notice what it says. And again, don't miss the simplicity and the clarity. Put away what kind of filthiness? How much filthiness? All. How much have we learned about that from this, from this book? Has doc, not Dr. Street provoked us and said, no, 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 don't stay on the surface. Get down and kill it all. Figure out what's the motives. What's driving it? 
where's, where's that coming? Like, he, he is relentless. He will not let you stop and be like, all right, I've, I've got it. I've put some programs on my computer. I'm good. <laughs> no, no. you got to get into the heart. And then it's not even enough to get into the heart. you got to turn the heart over and figure out what crannies are underneath and what's hiding in there and what's he teaching us. He's teaching us to pull, put away all filthiness. Don't be content with just the little thing. Figure out what's driving it. What's the hidden motive? Is it the hungering heart? Is it the hurting heart? What's driving the hurting heart? Is it looking for solace? Are you looking for sustenance or satisfaction? I mean, notice how the book did not stop. There was no respite. It was like no coming up for air. And I know you felt that if you read the book. And that was the point. He's wanting to deal with all of it. And if we're honest, when we're, when we're in our attempts to kill sin, do we really go after all of it? That's the issue, isn't it? We're just content to be in the moment. And just like Talon was saying a second ago, it's just like, yeah, I need to stop that. And then we move on rather than getting down. Number two, look, watch. Watch verse 21. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. This is what? Follow the Scriptures. Receive with meekness the implanted word. Follow the Scriptures humbly. This is so critical in the, in the book. Multiple times it came up where this, this and it, even in the notes for this chapter 9, I brought it up a couple times, how important humility is in battling sin. Oftentimes our biggest issue in battling sin is pride. We are unwilling to seek help. We are unwilling to go to the Scriptures. We're unwilling to pray. And it's all because we think we can handle it. Hiding our little sins over in the corner. Why? Because we're prideful. And it's like, no, receive the word with meekness, humility, a sense of desperation. I need this. Go there, and Brian brought it up. Humility, right? Handle the word, hear the word, obey the word out of a sense of here's the word that came up with Dr. Street throughout the book multiple times. And this was why, after reading it so many times, it became my main prayer for all of us brokenness. Listen, when you become a broken man, guess what? You run to the word in meekness. That's why brokenness is the key to this whole thing. That's where most of us, if we're honest, probably have never been not enough. Maybe once, twice, three times. It's like, you know, you got to live there as the broken man because it's then that you're the humble man, then the godly man, then the blessed man, as we'll see here in a minute. I saw somebody had a hand up. Go ahead, Tim. Yes. 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 That's it. Yes. It's the same. that What he's referencing there when he talks about the implanted word is what he's already said in verse 18 when he says, of his own will he brought you forth by the word of truth. He's talking about the power of the word of God to regenerate the soul to bring life out of a dead soul. It's the word of God. Never forget this. God in his sovereign design and eternal decree not only designed the plan of salvation that Christ would die for sinners and that those who repent and believe in him would have eternal life, right? That's the big plan. But he also designs the means by which that will happen, right? So it's not just the big plan. It's the conduit. It's the steps. And one of those means, primary means, is the Word of God. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 10, right? Faith come by hearing, and hearing by what? 
the Word of God. It's the Word of God that is the, is the most important component to salvation. Without the Word of God, there is no faith. You have no faith. Well, faith in what? Faith, you don't even know what you're supposed to believe. We were talking about that today at the conference, right? So to know what you're supposed to believe, to know who you're supposed to believe, and to know why you're supposed to believe it, you need the Word of God, the truth. And so in verse 18, he speaks of this, that it's through the Word of God that God regenerates, brings life. This is Ezekiel 36, right? It's the Word of God that he uses to bring life to the dead soul. That same powerful Word now is implanted in the heart through the Holy Spirit You've got all you need to fight this. You just need to receive it. You need to submit to it in meekness. It's huge. Do you see why this, this verse, this section right here, is one of the most important in this whole pursuit of killing sin? Yeah, there's a number of passages that come right to mind. Romans 8.1, right? What does Paul say? Oh, wretched man that I am, right? In, no, in, that's in chapter 7, verse, what is it, 29. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of death, right? That's after chapter 7 where Paul has... In his transparency, he said, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. I see this law, the law of sin at work in my body. And it's like he's just wrestling with the same exact thing we've been doing with this whole study, right? And he gets to the end, and what do you see? The picture of the broken man. Oh, wretched man that I am, right? Who will save me from this body of death? Meaning this corpse of flesh that I have to drag around as a believer, but I've got this old dead corpse that I've got to drag with me that keeps holding me back, which is the flesh. And then what does he say in Romans 8.1? Now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the broken man who becomes the strengthened man, right? It's not until you get to, oh, wretched man that I am. You see this in Paul's life, right, where he progresses in his understanding of how wretched he is. At first, he's the least of all the apostles, and then he's the least of all the servants, and by the end of his life, he says, I am the chief of sinners. Not I was the chief of, chief of sinners, not I, before I was saved, I was the chief of sinners. He said, I am. Think about it, the apostle Paul, right? So sometimes... Our church, I know, has the perspective of me. But, Pastor, you're just too hard. You're just too negative. No, I'm not, right? This is what Scripture teaches. And there's the Apostle Paul. And again, we think of it as, man, Paul's really thinking back on how sinful. No, he's saying, at the moment, I am the chief of sinners under the inspiration. You think he's lying? You think he's sugarcoated? You think he's speaking hypothetically? He's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And remember, in the text, he said, and God saved the chief of sinners to make him an example that if he could save Paul, he could save anybody. That was the point. Not in hyperbole at all. I am the chief of sinners. That's the heart of the broken man. Go to Psalm 51, right? Psalm 51, what do you see? You see the broken man on full display. David, against you and you alone have I sinned. Absolutely. Yeah. 
James chapter 4, verse 6. Yeah, absolutely. That's the broken man. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Jim. Yes, but ours as well. <laughs> yes. So, so here's, here's the rub, and we've talked about this in different angles, but again, it's no holds barred tonight because this is the last class, so I got to unleash, so bear with me. But listen, this is where the rub is, man. When you're repenting of sin, brokenness does, it will never come when the fixation is on the sin, okay? And that's where most of us stay it's the sin I've committed. Oh, the sin that I've committed. Oh, this wretched sin that I've committed. No. It's you, the sinner. Oh, I'm a wretched sinner. You see the difference? I have committed this sin because my heart is so because I am so much a selfish sinner. When you get to that point, when your eyes turn off the sin, whatever that is, and turns on yourself and says, and you recognize you do this simply because you are a sinner who loves to do it. When you get to that point, man, you are now swimming in the right lane to brokenness. And that's what you see with David in Psalm 51 as the paramount picture of the broken man. And he says what? Think about it. Going to Jim's point, in sin I was conceived. I mean, he's going all the way back. He's not blaming his sin with Bathsheba on anybody. He's not saying, well, I, you know, all the concubine was away, and so I couldn't relieve myself, and so I saw this girl, and blah, blah, blah. You know, all the excuses we make. Well, she wouldn't have looked at me if, if I didn't have this internet. I mean, who, Al Gore made the internet. It's his fault. You know, I mean, you know, if we come up with all these excuses and David, like, no, it goes all the way back to the moment of the conception when I was born in my mother's womb. I have been a sinner. I mean, he's taken full ownership. That's the heart of the broken person, right? That's the one who will not talk back against the word because he, what's he going to say? He's going to be humble. He's going to be broken. Yeah. Well, because when you get to that point, then you're, you're, honestly, you're hopeless in the sense of, Lord, again, it's, Scripture is so clear. Oh, wretched man, that I, who's going to save me from this? Like, again, when was the last time you got to the end of yourself and you're just like, Lord, I, I, I can't do that. Like, I, I'm done. I'm, I, I am finished. I'm tired. I'm, I can't. Lord, I am too much in love with my sin. Oh, wretched man, Right? And again, it's one thing to verse, verbalize that. It's another thing to pour out your heart to be that. That's Paul. And then the point is, you turn to Christ. 
That's the point. You turn to him. And that's the most glorious moment in life when you are utterly hopeless and you turn and you see the only one where all hope is found. Man, there's no greater joy in life than that. And that's what's so paramount about that. Why you have to then turn and see Christ. That's the only way you can see Christ is in those moments. And so that was way too long on that. Verse 22. Here you go, right? Verse 22. Now we, we saw the, the hearing, the listening, but now the doing. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. What is the massive contrast in verse 22? We've already talked about it. What is it? What is the contrast now? He's, I mean, it starts with a, contrast, a, a contrasting conjunctive. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, but, but it starts with but, right? But be doers of the word. Don't just simply hear it, but be doers of the word, and it's going to come up again. And not hearers only deceiving yourselves. I, I'm telling you, fighting sexual sin involves more deception than I think any other thing on the face of the planet. How many men, how many women have been so deceived into thinking there's something they're not, into thinking sex will bring them something that it won't, or the made-up girl will do, or whatever. It's just so much deception. And especially that I'm doing something that I'm not. I'm really fighting this sin. Are you? Are you really fighting it? Listen, I've said it, man. Coming to this class is not fighting sin. If you think it is, you are deceived. This is not fighting it. This is preparing you to fight it. This is giving you the tools to fight it. Coming here and not looking up the verses, not being in the Word, not reading the book or whatever it is, and just showing up and thinking, I'm fighting sexual sin. I showed up Thursday night class. You haven't fought anything. That's deceiving yourself. That's simply hearing it. You haven't started fighting until, one, you've picked up the sword, which is the Word of God. Then you're ready to fight it, and then you've got to open it. And then you got to read it. And then you got to know it. And then you got to apply it. And then you got to follow it. And then you got to love it. And then you got to follow it some more. And then you got to beat your heart up with, with it over and over and over. That's fighting it. That's fighting it. And you got to do that day in and day out. And that's what he's saying. Don't simply just show up, listen to it, and walk away. And now he's going to go to um, Talon's illustration that he was talking about. For anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like the man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. Remember, in this culture, this is why this is so applicable culturally, they didn't have glass mirrors like we have, okay? They had polished bronze most of the time, but it was polished metal. And if you were rich, you would have polished gold, which was even clearer. But no matter what metal it was, it was never perfectly clear like our glass mirror is right? There was always a fade. There was always a, a haze. There was always a, something that you just couldn't see every jot and tittle, every pimple. Maybe that would help some of us, right? Where you just couldn't see it all. So the point was you had to look intently at whatever it is you were looking at. And yet if you, if what? If you walked away and didn't act upon it, guess what? Because you didn't really see crystal clear. And if you don't act on it right away, guess what you do? You don't do anything. Is that not a picture of fighting sexual sin or any sin? You kind of look at the Word. You kind of sit under a sermon. You kind of read a book or whatever it is, and you're just like, yeah, man, I need to do that. I need to do that. And then you walk away, and nothing happens. That's it. 
I mean, that's the story of our life, if we're honest. That's what he's talking about. You look, you see this kind of clouded thing, and you see what you're supposed to do rather than taking action at that moment, what Jesus said, right? If your right eye causes you to sin, what? Wait till next month when, when you get paid and you can go to the doctor after you pluck out your eye and then do it, right? That's kind of how we think about this. Yeah, I'll, I'll wait for this. I'll get to that. I want to have a meeting with pastor and we'll talk about it. Then I'll, then, I'll, then I'll unplug my computer and throw it away. No, you see it, act upon it. Don't wait. Move. That's, what he's, that's exactly what he's saying. But the one who looks at the perfect law, the law of liberty, notice that. You know what liberty stands for? What does liberty stand for? Freedom. Do you see it? The perfect law of freedom. The law brings freedom. The word of God brings freedom to your life. Look into it. Find freedom. It'll set you free, right? The truth sets free and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed. You know, back up in verse 21, I I, I was going to give you three things to remember. One was kill sin exhaustively, right? All. Follow Scripture humbly, meekness. Did you notice at the end, which is able to save your soul? Trust the Word completely. That's what this whole thing's about. That's, what, that's where it all started with Dr. Street's quote. The Word of God is sufficient. That's why I love it. It is able to save your soul if you'll just do what it says. It works. It's a promise from God. If your heart is right and your life is trusting in the Lord, you can bank on it. I mean, there's no, there's no question about it. The question isn't the word. The question's us. Will we do it? And uh, that's, that's the issue. That's the issue. Look and live. Look and live. Notice at the end, I love it, two things. He must look at the word and he must persevere in it. Do you see it? How applicable is that in this? Man, you can't stop. You don't quit. You just keep. Notice, I, I mean, it, it's, it's clear. But the one who looks at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. If you're going to pursue holiness under the banner of the gospel, as you're commanded to, you need to persevere, right? goes back to our earlier questions, right? Why is it this way? Well, there's like 12 reasons why it's this way. But at the end of the day, right, it is this way. And the Bible is clear. And we are called to endure. We're called to persevere. We're called to not quit. And you just keep pursuing this. And what is the blessing? But the doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Don't miss that, right? Because this all sounds negative. And it is to a certain degree. But notice the blessing. You do this, you will be blessed. Again, it's, is, that a, is that a like hypothetical? Is that a potential? Or is it a promise? It's a promise. You'll be blessed in this. So it doesn't go back to Clarence. It's not, it's not back to, oh, oh, man, this is so hard. Yes, it's hard because we're sinners. That's why it's hard. But if we will follow the word out of a broken heart of complete dependence and we persevere, the word says we'll be blessed. We'll be blessed in this. Blessed in what ways? Like 8,000. How many do you want? 
Blessed in the sense of you'll see growth. Blessed in the sense you'll encourage others. Blessed in the sense the biggest blessing, which if we get there in John 15, where, where Jesus talks about this very same thing in John 15 and abiding in him. It's the same principles all over again. And he talks about what? Your joy being full if you persevere in an obedience to him. What was, I'm just going to skip there now. What was the joy of Christ? His greatest joy was what? Following. Following the Father. Thank you. Amen. You just went to the top of the class. Following the Father. Obeying the Father. John 15, 11. 10 and 11. Read it. This was Christ's greatest joy. His greatest joy in life was obeying the Father. There was no greater joy for him. That, why does he go to the cross? He goes to the cross and mutilated on the cross because of the joy, Hebrews 12, set before him, he endures the cross. The joy of what? The joy of obeying the Father and the blessings that are coming because of obeying the Father. And he says in John 15, Listen, I want my joy to be in you and your joy to be full. And what's the connection in John 15? Obedience. Men, sooner or later, you've got to grow up and mature and find your greatest joy in obedience. Imagine the difference in your Christian life when it's not experiential, it's not emotional, it's not financial. It's not even spiritual in the sense of eclectic knowledge. It's just in the simple fact that I am obeying the Father. It's called a clear conscience. How many times does Paul say, my conscience is clear? You know what he's saying there? I'm obeying the Father. Do whatever you want to do to me. I'm in full joy. I know how it is. I know how to be content in all situations. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That verse has nothing to do with football or anything else. He's talking about obeying the Father and the joy that comes from obeying the Father. Listen, you can have joy in the midst of this journey. As hellish as it is, as difficult as it is, as, as uh, perpetual as it is, it doesn't stop, right? The reality of this kind of sin it is a difficult battle, but imagine the joy that comes. And some of you have experienced this, especially some of you older ones. As you've persevered through this and you're pursuing purity and you're walking with Christ in holiness, there is no greater joy on this earth than holiness. It is the greatest joy in this life because, why? Christ is the ultimate manifestation of holiness, and Christ is the image in which God is making us, and the more he brings us closer to Christ, the more we are holy and godly, and that is the greatest point of joy. But again, when was the last time that was your perspective in fighting sexual sin? Changes everything, right? So it's just like, to, for me in my life, it's just, a, and it's imperfect on so many levels because I'm a sinner like you. Yet, listen, my pursuit is just to be faithful. I just want to obey Christ. I just, I just want to repent when I don't, and I just want to, I just want to just obey the Father. And you know what? That's my greatest joy in life. Well done, good and faithful servant, right? To know my conscience is clear and my Father is pleasing to me. That's why you go in my office, you'll see it on three different walls, Isaiah 66 two. This is the man to whom I will look. Literally in Hebrew means, this is the man who turns my gaze. This is the man in Job when Satan walks up and says, you know, blah, 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 blah. And God's like, ah, enough with that. Have you seen my servant Job? He turns my gaze. Why? Blameless and upright in all his ways. 
Isaiah 6. That's what it's talking about. This is the one to whom I will look. He that is broken. Remember the brokenness. Broken and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That means obeys the word of God. That's the, that's the man that not only turns the gaze of God, that's the man who overwhelms, overflows in joy. That's it. It's huge. It's huge. I've skipped through I don't know how many notes. What's your, what's your response to that? Amazed. <laughs> I'm about amazed, but do you see it? Yeah. Do you see it? Yes. Yes, yes. No, you don't feel like it, right? You just feel the onslaught, the weight. and Yes, and Clarence, you're exactly right. And that's why you don't live by how you feel. You live by what God has said. You go to the Word and where He shows you all the help. Where we just read the implanted Word, which is able to save your soul. That, just that final phrase in James 1. I mean, it's just like, is, is it true or is it not? Like my sermon coming up, is Jesus a liar or is he truthful? Is the word able to save your soul? Meaning able to pull you out of this? Able to help you, as Dustin said, get through this trial and tribulation? Yes, it is. And I believe it is. And Lord, it doesn't, I feel like, I feel like you're far from me. But James chapter 5 says, you're near. You're near. Oh Lord, I'm crying out to you. I'm humbling myself and I'm crying out to you because I trust your word. Oh, Lord, absolutely. That's it. And back to David. And Clarence brought it up, so it's his fault for cycling back through. No, don't apologize yet. This joy. What does David pray for when he's repenting in Psalm 51? When he's pouring out his heart, he's broken. I've been, I've been a sinner from the moment I was the... I was the sperm and the egg came together. I'm this zygote in my mother's womb, man. I'm just like, I'm, I'm wicked from the, from, the, from the first moment. And he's praying. And what does he pray for? Oh, Lord, return to me the joy of my salvation. Right? Pr- praise that often in the Psalms. That joy of obedience, that joy of walking with you. Man, that has to be. You have to know that. You have to grow in that. You have to understand that. You have to find. Listen, what does Paul say? The, the commands of God are not what? Burdensome to the true believer. You have to get to a point where you see this, this command to kill sin and just not be like, oh, man, really? If, if that's where you are, you, you are in a pitiful place to say it mildly. Maybe an unbeliever. But when you see, as Tim alluded to a minute ago, the glory of Christ and all that he's done, it should be your greatest desire to kill sin. Again, your greatest joy, to please the master, to desire to be done with that, to put it away. That should be your greatest joy. And then to do that for him. That's a totally different perspective 
on fighting sin. Rather than just a laborious thing we have to do. No, a privilege, a privilege to display the glory of God in my life as he transforms me from one image of glory to another, 2 Corinthians 3.18. I mean, that's what it's about. That's what it's all about. Yeah, you guys let me get way off track, but go ahead. Uh, I can give you a New Testament correlation really helpful is 2 Corinthians 7, 1, where it's in the context of, of Old Testament passages, and it's, it's literally in the context of sexual sin, where he's talking about this reality that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and how we should not mingle, right, um, our bodies with wickedness, with adultery, idolatry, and it's in that passage. And, and when he gets to the end of that, and he's talking about how... how uh, uh, we have the amazing gift that the incarnate Christ dwells within us through his spirit and that we are the temple of the living God. He's talking about that. And so, um, and that God dwells with us, that God equips us, encourages us, all those things. And then he gets to the end of that in the beginning of chapter 7. He says, therefore, based upon all these promises we have, let us pursue holiness, Right? Based upon who we are, based upon the indicatives, based upon the fact, let us pursue holiness in the fear of the Lord with fear and trembling. You could go to uh, Hebrews, you go to Hebrews chapter 12, like verse uh, 29, 30, where it says, our God is a consuming fire. Again, dealing with this whole reality of holiness and pursuing it and fighting sin. And, And he says, let us offer up to God worship that is pleasing to him because our God is a consuming fire. Yeah. And so that reality of fear and trembling is uh, Philippians chapter 2, 13 and 14. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you and through you for his good pleasure. And so, yeah, it comes up all the time. And it's, it's, it relates to, in Isaiah 62, 66, 2, it's, it's back to the character of God because that's really what it's about in that passage. God is transcendent and imminent, meaning he's high and lifted up, but he's close and that should strike a right sense of fear within us because we have to answer to this holy God and we are an unholy people. But, but is that what the, the sense that we need that fear and trembling? That I'm being held accountable. That's one, of the, that's one of the realities of it, yeah. That you will be held accountable, yes. Yes, for sure. But also that uh, you, uh, not only will you be held accountable in the future, you'll be held accountable now right? Hebrews uh, chapter 12, the discipline of the Lord. You know, we don't think about that. So it, yeah, he will hold you accountable now. He will discipline those who are his. That should, should strike us with a right sense of fear. But then there's still an account. I have to account for myself when I stand before him, right? And, uh, and then there's the reality of all those around me who I drag with me in my sin. And there's all kinds of connections to that. So the pervasive presence of the Lord, he's watching the uh, uh, yes, he's watching all the time, and the reality that you have to give an account to him both now and in the future should strike us, should grab us. But more than that, again, back to where, where, where this all started, what has he been, what has he given to us? To whom much is given, much is required. The reality of all that we've been given, 
oh, again, we were, we were having a great discussion on the ride up about Israel and blah, blah, blah about Israel. But it's like, you know what? The church, it, we are blessed men beyond measure. We're at that conference today, and Lagos guy's giving his little presentation, and it's like a one click on the computer, and you can have, you know, 5,000 books or whatever. I mean, it was ridiculous how much we have been blessed. We, we are, let's be honest, we are completely and utterly without excuse. I mean, Israel didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. Israel did not have the Word of God in 40,000 translations right? Whatever flavor you want, the word on the street or whatever, you know, I mean, whatever flavor you want to find the word, it's there. It's literally like God's like, I'm taking every excuse away from them, right? You want it on your computer. You want it in your phone. You, I mean, again, it's, it's just like, it's ridiculous. We've got the church. We've got brothers. We've got, we got books galore. We were talking about this. I think it was, I think it was you, and, you and I were talking about this, right? The Puritans and the preachers, they had no internet. Preaching a sermon, you know, and I mean, you couldn't just log on and listen to a sermon. You had to go sit and listen and soak that sermon in, and you might make it back three weeks later if, you know, the cows were out and all the, you were sick and didn't get the plague or something. I mean, I mean, that was it. And look at us. We got podcasts, blog rolls. Air-conditioned church. I mean, again, it's it's it. We we are, we are without excuse, without excuse. What kind of hope is it, 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 for purity is found in God's word? I, I I know you didn't have much time, but this comes from last week, and I hope you did this because this was, this was good, this was real good. What kind of hope, based upon what we've heard, what kind of hope for purity is found in God's word? This is building on where we need to focus. What kind of hope from purity? This is on question number two. What kind of hope is there? Somebody read John 17, 17. Okay, what is that? Who's who's speaking there? Who? Christ. And what is he doing there? Who's he talking to? He's praying. It's a prayer. Okay? Newsflash, does Christ ever pray a prayer that doesn't get answered? So what is he praying? Think about, think about it, men. What are we talking about here? We're talking about ultimately paring it down, taking it out of the negative of killing sin, because I think you got that. Now let's talk about it from a different angle, but it's the same thing. We're talking about pursuing holiness. We're talking about Christ-likeness. We're talking about godliness which is exactly what he prays in John 17, 17. Sanctify them. That means set them apart. Make them holy, okay? What, what, is, what is he asking the Father to make them holy through? The Word. It's a prayer to the Father. Father, sanctify them in your Word. Your Word is truth. What were you going to say, Tim? Yeah, he's, he's praying, so it's, it's within the prayer, 
his high priestly prayer. So he's praying to the Father, but within the prayer, he's just agreeing with the Father. This is the Father's will. This is the Father's plan. This is the whole point of salvation, <laughs> Ephesians 1.3, where you are elect, what? Elect to godliness, to holiness. This is the whole point. And so he is just praying to the Father as we often do and agreeing with the Father. That's all prayer really ultimately is. But in so doing, he is strengthening the believers, the disciples, and encouraging them, one, about the sufficiency of the word, that is, is the word, which is the means by which the Father will sanctify them. And it also is the prayer of Christ. So there's hope. There's hope in the word that God will sanctify you. There's hope. If Christ is praying this for you, then there is great hope to be found from this prayer. Ephesians 1, 3 to 4. Somebody read that. There's hope in the word found in this prayer between Christ and the Father. There's hope to be found in Ephesians 1, 3 to 4. I just, just said it a second ago. Somebody read it. Go ahead, Talon. There you go. There's hope in the word found from the prayer of Christ. There's hope in the word found from the purpose. This is God's purpose for your life, that you would be holy and blameless. Do you see it? This is his ultimate purpose for you. There's hope in that. Again, again, know the character of God. Does he ever set out to accomplish anything and not finish it, unlike us, right? God is not like us as men right? We set out to build this. We set out to plant that. We set out to paint this. And our wives are good to remind us, you didn't finish up the last four jobs that you started. God does not do that, right? He does not do that. He sets out to do something. It is done, right? He set out to make his own holy and blameless. He will do it. So our sanctification begins here. Absolutely it is. Absolutely. You can't get into heaven without it. Absolutely. He's going to make you blameless. Yeah, that's the whole point of saving you. It's not fire insurance. That's how most of us think of it, right? It's fire insurance, forgiveness of sin in the sense of removing us from the, the damnation, the judgment of God. It's way more than that. Salvation is way more than that. It's about bringing us into Christ. Yes, yes. That's why in the next phrase it says, make sure you know how the Bible uses the word hope. Hope, no, no, no. It means that the question is, is tracking along the right line because somebody was going to ask it, and that's why it's there, right? No, we use hope as, as potentiality, probability. The Bible always uses it in confident expectation. Here you go, right? Confident, guaranteed expectation of the past promise will have complete fulfillment in the future. That's how it's always used. So you always have in hope in the Bible, there's always hope is the bridge between a promise of God in the past and the fulfillment in the future. And how do you connect those two with the bridge of hope, right? So it's the bridge you walk across based upon the promise of God. He said he will do this, and I have hope walking across that bridge, that one day that will happen in the future. That's what you need when you're fighting this sin. 
You need hope, right? And how do you find it? In the Word. You find it from the prayer of Christ. Well, he prayed it. You find it from the purpose of God. He, he, this is his purpose. Philippians 1.6, he that began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. You find hope in the promise of God. He's going to do this. Absolutely. Romans 8, 28 and 30. 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31. You know what those passages are talking about? Talking about ultimately the person of Christ. That God is going to make you into the image after his son. Even says in 1 Corinthians 30, 31, that Christ has become for us our justification, our redemption, are you ready? And our sanctification. I mean, it's, again, it's complete. It's, it's final. This is going to happen. If, back to the beginning, we hear the word, because remember, he's ordained the plan as well as the process, which involves the word. If we listen to the word and we follow the word. Remember what we saw in James. If we do that, we will be blessed. That's why Colossians 1 says the same thing. He will make us blameless in the end if, I love the if clause, if we persevere, if we do not quit. This is his plan. Conditional clause. Colossians 1, yeah, verse 22. 21, 22, yep. As long as we keep obeying. Yeah, it's not trying, it's obeying. And that's where, that's where we're going with the repentance and the remembering. And oh, th- this will be helpful. This will be helpful. So in this series of questions, I, I, we don't have time to get into it. Men, I'm driving this point hard because this is where this all goes. You've got to trust the word. At the end of the day, we, we, we are following our own devices more than we know. Proverbs 3, 5 six, seven, and eight. What is that? You should know that off the top of your head. You should be able to paraphrase that. Okay. That passage is generally the antithesis of that passage is, is, what, is what Clarence is talking to, right? We struggle way more than we should because we're trusting in ourself and not the word. It's the truth. That's the issue. And so the point is, all the way back to where all this started, we don't trust the word because we really don't believe it. If we believed it, we would follow it. We would do it. Our struggle goes all the way back to that. If I really believed God and what he said, if I really believed his word was sufficient, then I would trust it. I would consume it. I would eat it, which is what the Scripture talks about all the time. Like in Peter, right? Long for the pure milk of the Word. As the deer pants after the water brooks, so pants my soul after you. When was the last time you panted? Let's, I mean, let's be honest. When was the last time you panted? You got out of bed and you were panting. Lord, I, I just want to meet with you. I need to interact with you. You know, you come into church and it's just like, Lord, I just, I just want to worship you this morning. I want to hear from your Word. Oh, Lord, speak to us. That's what he's talking about. That's what we need. 
when you see the character of the word, I wrote down in, in, in somewhere in my notes here, the character of the word drives our confidence in the word and thus its centrality in our life. The character of the word, and that's where Psalm 19 and Psalm 119 and 2 Timothy 3, all those exercises I gave you to do. The character of the word being God-breathed, being perfect, pure, holy. The character of the word being uh, uh, making the wise simple, uh, rejoicing the heart, everything that Psalm 119 says. The character of the word drives our confidence in the word and therefore its centrality in our life. It's so important, but again, dealing with this, we don't really know. In 2 Timothy, right? 2 Timothy 3. Somebody read 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Again, these, th- all I'm doing is pulling all this together and making it as simple as I can. Watch 2 Timothy 3. You've heard this verse a thousand times probably, but think about it in the context of fighting sin. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Who's got it? So what does it mean when it says the Scripture is given by inspiration of God? It's talking about the character of the Word. What, what does it mean? When, when, the, when the, word, the Word is the Word of God, right? When the Word speaks, God speaks. So it takes on the same characteristics of God. God is eternal. God is immutable. God is infinite. God is holy. God is right. God is just. God is perfect. All of those same attributes that make up God are all connected to His Word because this is His Word. Sufficient, it's sovereign, it's perfect, it's powerful. Now, notice what it says. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's His Word and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. What do those four words mean? Instruction speaks about this reality of divine truth that is comprehensive and perfect. That's what we need when we're fighting with this sin. We don't, I don't need partial truths. I don't need, I don't need a 12-step help program that's going to get me uh, this far and no farther. I need something that's comprehensive, that's going to lay it all out and deal with all of it. There's only one place you can go for that. It's the Word. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof. What does that mean? Okay, no, that's coming up next. Reproof, rebuke, what does that mean? Okay, yes, think about it, right? And how much have we seen this in this book? And the Word of God exposes sin. That's what that means. It's only the Word that will really unveil and pull back those layers on your heart that you're hiding and that you don't even know is there. And the Word of God comes in and just pulls it out. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the truth. But it's really, it's really Hebrews 4, right? Hebrews 4, where it talks about the Word of God as a double-edged sword, dividing all the way down to the bone and the marrow, right? It cuts to the heart. It was the Word. It exposes us. That's why we need to listen to it. That's why we need to hear it, not speak against it, not get angry. Correction. That word literally means it, it's an it's a, it's a orthopedic word, and, it, and it, means to, it means to reset that which is broken. How beautiful is that? How much do we need that from the word? Training. 
This is the word, uh, literally means like a young child bringing up, guiding up from infancy. That's exactly what we need. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Mature, qualified, adequate. Enabled to meet the demands. Here you go. I mean, this is about as applicable and as practical and as, as powerful as you can get. This means enabled to meet the demands of godly living. Do you hear it? We need, we're pursuing godliness. We're fighting sin. And the Bible says, listen, this word will expose your sin. It will, it will reprove your sin. It will correct it. It will instruct you. It will do everything so that you will be enabled to, to meet the demands of godliness to meet the demands of living a godly life in an ungodly world. This is so practical, so powerful, so helpful. This is what it all comes down to. It all comes down to this reality. Um, All right, so on the final page, as we wrap this up, skip to question series number four. I tried to pull this all together as I've been wrestling with this through the whole series and been thinking about this tonight. And um, number four, a major, a major section of chapter nine begins on page 217, and it is so practical and helpful because fighting sin rightfully and effectively is all about being a faithful disciple of the gospel of grace. What does that mean? What does it mean to be an effective disciple of the gospel of grace? And I gave you, a, a, what, 10 verses there to give you hints to help you in the answer. What, what does that mean? Let me put it to you like this. Why, why is the gospel the beginning and the end of fighting sin and pursuing holiness? What is it? Why must the gospel, I'm talking, we've talked a bunch about the word, and now I'm transitioning here at the end and making the transition to these final points, how the gospel, right, has to be the driving motivation in all that we do. It has to be not just the point of salvation, but the uh, sustenance and sanctification. Why? Why is that? What does that mean? So that's, that's what that phrase means, being a faithful disciple of grace. He's talking about the gospel. What does that mean? You help me. I've been talking way too much. Go ahead, Jim. Okay, that's the negative side, and we've talked of... Yes, yes. Amen. Look up Titus 2. We would just look up one verse here. Titus 2, 11 to 14. This is exactly what Jim said with a biblical reference with, with the reality of the gospel driving this. Titus 2. Somebody read it, 11 to 14. This ought to be like your life verse after this class.
This, this is powerful, right? So do you see the negative? The grace of God. He's talking about the gospel, right? The gospel is Jesus Christ has appeared. The word there is, is epiphany, right? It's, it's a great word. It's talking about the incarnation. It's talking about the reality. He came to earth. The gospel is Christ coming to earth to live the righteous life, fulfill the law, die the perfect death as only he could because he lived the perfect life, and then to be the satisfying atonement, uh, propitiation for man, to raise from the dead. This has appeared. This has come to earth. And it brings salvation for all people. There's nobody, there's no person, there's Jew, Gentile, right? So not just Jews, not just Gentiles, Everyone, everyone is underneath this appearing. It says, verse 12, here it is, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion. Isn't that what we need? It's the gospel that trains us. It's the gospel that that teaches us to say what? To say no to the girl, to say no to the screen, to say no to the thought, to say no to the sin. That's what it means, to renounce ungodliness. And notice the, the text, worldly passions. Talk about lust of the flesh. The very things we've been talking about. It's the gospel that tells us to say no to this. And now the positive side. It's not just about no, no, no. It's about live, live, live. And to live self-control, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It's the gospel that does all that. It's the gospel that equips us. It's the gospel that motivates us. It's the gospel that moves us. Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope. There it is again, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us, there it is, from all lawlessness, wickedness, and to purify, sanctify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works, i.e., zealous to obey, zealous to live godly. This is why the gospel is so powerful. Man, one of the struggles you have with whatever sin it is, whether it's sexual, whether it's pride, whatever it is, I don't know your heart, but whatever it is you deal with, whatever it is that afflicts you both now and forevermore, you can rest assured one of the issues why you deal with that, especially if it's perpetual, is because you've lost sight of the gospel. You need to be brought back to the God. That's why Sunday is so important with communion, right? To be reminded of the blessing of the gospel, to be reminded of the glory of Christ, to be reminded of the power. Listen, listen, stop listening to the lies that you have to stay in whatever cycle of sin you are. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, think about the power of God that raised Christ from the dead, lives within you as if you're a believer. Do you think for a moment you don't have the ability to do this. That's why Paul says in Romans 6, right? Stop it. You're no longer, don't don't go back to presenting your members as slaves to sin. You're done with that. Reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. It's huge. Gospel is powerful, powerful. Um, All right, look in your notes, and, and I just want to show you these. Here's five, just trying to be condensed and clear trying to pull all this together. Here's five ways in which we move forward out of this class, okay? Um, what we should have learned, if you were paying attention at all, at any level, you should walk away with this should not be foreign to you. Number one, repent. 
to God and forsake all known sin, right? So as, as that, those sins become re- revealed to you through, as you hunt them down, as God's word, remember, it exposes them and you see them for what they are, we should repent. And we learned, we talked a lot about that in the beginning. The first two lessons were all about repentance in multiple ways. Repent to God and forsake all known sin. I shouldn't have to say that, but I do it for clarity because forsaking is part of repenting. But I say it for clarity. Repentance involves forsaking. Listen, if you keep going back to the same sin, okay, rest assured, if you keep going back to the same sin, I mean the same sin, like you repent today and tomorrow you're right back into it. There's a number of issues, but one is for sure that you just need to understand. You have yet to repent of it because repenting involves forsaking. Okay? doesn't mean that you're still not going to be tempted to, to, to go there. doesn't mean that you won't have struggles with sin down the road. But this whole idea where it's just like, on the, like Talon was talking about a minute ago, on the day, off tomorrow, on the day, off tomorrow. Listen, the issue is you have yet to repent. You have yet to honestly, biblically repent, which goes back to the brokenness, which goes back to seeing it clearly. It's fixation on the sin rather than the sin or the, the heart and all of that and much of what we've learned. And I give you questions there to help you even deal with some of that. Um, repent of sin, replace. After you repent, you go right in and you replace all sinful thoughts with godly thoughts. So how do you do this? How do I do this, Pastor? This book has been helpful, but where do I go? You, you repent. You live in repentance. Your whole life is repentance. You just, you're just repenting constantly. That's the way we live. That's Martin Luther said repentance isn't a one-time act it's a way of life that's what literally set him up against roman catholicism right go ahead jim yes 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 No, no, let me clarify. The hope is we are fixed. That's the hope. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I. Remember what I. Well, a couple things. A couple things. Let me just... And, and I realize that that's no, 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 but it's good. No, it's good because if you're thinking it, other people are thinking it, and I need to clarify a number of things because I don't want to leave us hanging here. Just listen to the Scriptures. Again, men, part of your issue, as I know most of you really well, part of your issue, and I'm just going to be brutally frank with you and don't take it personally, but it's the truth, and you need to hear it. You don't know the Word. 
This is the truth. You really don't know the word well. Why do I put so many verses on your notes? Why do I implore you to read the word, to study the word? Going back to conversations we've had. You're driven by feelings. You're driven by thoughts. You're driven by things. Listen, you got to follow the word. This is what I've been saying. You can't just simply hear it. You got to believe it. You got to live your life in light of it. Based upon what Jim said, listen to the word. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life you, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness for sin will no longer it no longer has dominion over you since you are not under law you are under grace you know what he's saying there you don't have to do this you are freed from this this is not you so yes the hope is ultimately in the end we are going to be glorified we are going to be completely sanctified but the truth is we are already that's why in colossians Chapters 1 and 2, Paul says, this is who you are. This is who you are. Christ, you have, you have been filled in Christ. The whole Godhead fills Christ, and Christ fills you. You lack nothing. All of sin have been forgiven you. Satan is disarmed. You don't need to worry about him. You don't need to follow him. Paul lays it out, and then he says in Colossians 3, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, you have a new life. If you've been given a new heart, if you have been seated in the heavenlies, you've got everything. You lack nothing. If Christ is your life and your life is hidden in him, you don't have to worry about anything. Therefore, now go and kill sin. Based upon who you are. That's his whole point. This is who you are. You are in Christ. You don't need to fear this. You just need to run out and do it. So, yes, your point is, yes, the hope is coming. But the hope is already now. That's the gospel. That's growing in that. And that's what we need to learn. And that's where the struggle is. You can't relax, but, but, but Jim, this is where the rub is. The rub is that most, most of us don't know who we are in Christ, and that's where maturity comes. The older you get, you grow in your understanding of who you are in Christ, and guess what happens? This is maturity, and if those of you who are older here can attest to this. The battle doesn't wage like it did when you're 25. You sin less. You do. And if you don't, come see me because you you got a problem. It's the truth, right? You sin less. But what happens, the sensitivity, because you grow in likeness, it feels as if you sin more. Listen, I can, I can go back to my past and see the wickedness of my life, and I won't even begin to display before you, Right? I don't deal with none of that now. I don't have any of those temptations. Yet I will tell you I feel like a worse sinner now than I did then. But what is that? That is not because the battle isn't being won. It's because I'm growing in Christ's likeness and I love him more. And I don't want to offend him. And I don't want to demean him. So it's not that it's not happening. It's happening. And that's the proof that it's happening. So that's where Clarence is growing and needs to grow in that. So it's not this struggle. No, your struggle is the blessing because it grows you in him. But you have to be careful where you just don't get this, oh, it won't stop. Oh, it does stop. Oh, it gets better. But, it, but the reality is you grow closer to God. You see yourself for your sin. And that's that reality that, again, 
The word teaches you that. And if you're not careful, you will get yourself into a despairing place that you don't want to be. And I, I, I won't let you go there. I'm not going to let any of you go there because the word won't let us go there. And so, yes, it's a constant battle to the end, but it's a battle that is marked by great hope in the Lord. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the gospel says you are changed. You're a new creature in Christ, right? And that's where you, li- you live from that place, and you move from that place, and it, it's imperative. So you repent from that place. You repent, and you move forward. But you replace. You have to replace those sinful thoughts. You have to push them out. That's what I meant a minute ago, man. You don't know the word as we should. I don't know the word as I should. You guys tell me all this stuff. Pastor, you got a verse for everything. You know scripture. I don't know scripture like I should. I'm convicted. I need more. I want more. I hunger and thirst for that. It's, it's my source in life. So it must be for all of us. So we must be pushing out those thoughts all the time. You should practice this. It's one of the things I, Tom could give testimony. Ben Petticord could really give you testimony. You should pull Ben aside. I am so encouraged with Ben on so many levels as a young man, and he's got a long road ahead of him. But one of the things, as the principal of Annapolis Area Christian Middle School, the superintendent who's over all the schools, and I've heard this so many times from the superintendent himself, he said, I've never met anybody like Ben. He has a Bible verse for everything. We're in a meeting, and Ben will say, well, where's that in Scripture? Well, it says this here and here. Why? You want to know why? Because Ben and I have met, and Ben says, Pastor, I just, I just want to be guided by Scripture. I want to be immersed in Scripture. Absolutely, that's what I want for you. And that's the way we should think. Listen, every thought of your life should be sifted through Scripture. Sifted through Scripture. That'll change everything. Learn to do that. That's the replace. Replace those thoughts, Philippians 4.8, and focus on the Word. Renew, renew your proactive pursuit for Christ-centered holiness. If we're honest, we understand the fighting sin because it's aggressively attacking us, right, all the time. But where we fail is fighting sin means pursuing holiness. You've got to pursue it, man. You've got to go after it. It doesn't happen by osmosis. And a class like this is, is part of that. But this doesn't end, right? It ends tonight, this class, but it goes on. Saturday morning's men's Bible study. Tell me, give me one good reason apart from your job or your family, right, where you've been gone in Africa for the last two weeks, and I don't know of any of you that have done that. But you've been away, and so, of course, you shouldn't be there. Give me one good reason why you shouldn't be at the men's Bible study on Saturday. Can you give me one? You can't. You can't. It's at 8 o'clock. Pursue godliness. Man, that's what we do. Tell me one good reason why you wouldn't be here on Sunday morning. You can't. Pursue godliness, right? Give me one good reason why you won't re-read this book or pick up another one and read it. Why? You can't. Turn off Fox News. It will not help you in your pursuit of godliness. It will hurt you. Sean Hannity is the worst thing that could ever happen to you in pursuing godliness. And if you're watching CNN, well, then set up a counseling appointment and we'll deal with that. Right? Uh, we'll check your salvation. But <laughs> I mean, it's, it's pursue godliness. Get aggressive. Go after it. It's, I mean, this is our calling. And again, it's not laborious. It's not, oh, 
No, this is our greatest joy. Make this your greatest joy in life. I remember my greatest joy in life for way too long was hunting and fishing. I used to have my own boat, fish bass tournaments, used to hunt all over the country. I mean, it was my goal to be a professional hunter, right? And I remember growing, finally growing, reading the words and growing and realizing, yeah, I can't do this. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to study God's word. I want to teach it. I want to take other men and teach them. It was so, it was, it, it changed my life. I started giving away all my stuff to all these other guys. And then all my good hunting spots, which those of you that hunt know you never give away your good hunting spots. I started telling these other young guys, I'm like, hey, you want to meet with me in Bible study? And they're like, yeah, but will you teach me how to, I want to kill a big deer with my bow. I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll, that's easy. I'll teach you that. But let's study God's word. So this one guy who's a lawyer now, he's a big lawyer in West Virginia, and I did that with him. And he grew, he's a deacon at a church now, and I took him out behind my house, had this sweet spot, and, and he kills his first big rack buck with his bow, and he was so proud, and I was just grinning from ear to ear. I was like, thank you, Lord, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't hold on to that. I could give that up because I was pursuing godliness. I, I cared more about his soul and his growth in godliness than I did my own pleasure. That's part of pursuing godliness. And I'm not making myself the hero of the story. I'm trying to give you practical ways in which you say no to yourself and start getting serious at this. Remember, remember, step four. Remember what? Remember the deceitfulness of your flesh and the misery of sin in the fear of the Lord. This goes back to part of what Jim was saying. Like it doesn't stop. Like you can't let up, right? You've got to remember. You've got to remember that your, your heart, as Dr. Street said, is deceptive. It'll turn on you at any moment, and you can't lose sight of that. And you got to remember that. And you got to remember the misery that sin gives. But you have to remember it in the fear of the Lord, which is, is helpful because it keeps you from getting too discouraged. And then lastly, and this is always the right step, you rejoice. You rejoice in the past, present, and future sovereign grace of God given through Christ. You rejoice in the fact that you are saved. All sin has been forgiven you, past, present, and future, if you're a believer. You are saved. But men just had this conversation with Johanna Tolson and her counseling exams. We were just talking about this right before you came in. You are saved, but men, you are being saved. Colossians or Titus 2 said this. You are being saved. You are saved. Position. It's, you, you are freed from this. It, dominion is completely, the shackles of sin are broken. You are no longer a slave of Satan. You are no longer under dominion. You are free. You are saved. Justification complete. We are not Roman Catholics. You are not working to justify God. Done. Telestai. Finished. Paid in full. You are free. But you are being set free. Present from this body of flesh. It's been dis, dis, disarmed, it's been dethroned, but you continue in this body of flesh. That's called being saved, that's called sanctification. You have been justified, you are being sanctified, you will be glorified. That's the past reality of salvation, the present reality of salvation, and the future reality of salvation. And you must rejoice in that. Rejoice that I'm free. Listen, brother, rejoice. Man, this is struggle, but God has forgiven me of all my sin. You rejoice in that. You rejoice every time you fall. Though a righteous man fall, though a righteous man sin seven times, he what? 
He gets up and he rejoices. I have been freed from this. But then he keeps going. He doesn't, you know, Romans 6, shall we sin that grace abounds? No, that's the, the, the mindset of an unbeliever. He keeps moving forward. He keeps going. And he rejoices. But he rejoices in that God is not done with me yet. I, I love this, using this phrase to myself. I just did it a minute ago with you guys because I do this to myself all the time. Man, I praise the Lord. I am not what I used to be. I am so ashamed of my, uh, my life as a teenager. It is the most pitiful, wretched life that has ever lived. And I look back on it and say, praise the Lord. I am not like that anymore. But I also look at my life now and I say, but praise the Lord. I'm not now what I will be. Because I look at myself now and go, I'm not what I was, but I'm not what I will be. I'm not done yet. God is still at work, right? I'm not what I was, but I'm not what I will be. He's still at work within me, right? And that's that perspective. That's, you rejoice in the Lord. The joy of the Lord becomes your strength, and that's how you do battle with this man. You live with a repentant heart all the time. You're constantly repentant, broken. You renew, you replace those thoughts with Scripture. Learn to be John Bunyan. You know, most of you know that he is my favorite Puritan on so many levels for so many reasons. I hadn't even told you all the reasons why. And Pilgrim's Progress is just one. And Charles Spurgeon said, if you cut John Bunyan, he bleeds Scripture. John Owen is the smartest man that probably ever lived, okay? Smartest Puritan, probably the smartest man, intellectual outside of the apostles. That, I mean, you read John Owen and you're just, you have to read him like five times to like just be like, it's amazing. John Owen, who actually was the guy who got Pilgrim's Progress published because nobody would publish it. John Owen said he would give all his intelligence and all his learning to be able to preach like Bunyan. Bunyan was untrained, untaught. There's another reason why I love him. He was a tradesman. He was just a normal tradesman. God turned on and couldn't stop. And Owen, who was the king's man, the theologian of theologians, and he said, I give it all away to be able to preach like Bunyan. And you know what made Bunyan the way he was? Scripture. He bled Scripture. He fought Scripture. He lived Scripture. He was a man of the word. You're going to fight sin. You've got to replace. You've got to renew. You've got to rejoice. At the end of the day, we must be men of the word. It all comes back to that. If we're going to be godly men, if we're going to be men who fight sin, if we're going to make a stand against this and stop this insidious, incestuous, sick cycle of sexual sin among evangelical churches, it's going to start right here, right now, with us becoming men of the word. Not James 1 sitting here and going, all right, I check, I got it. No, going out of this place, making commitments that last and say, I'm going to be a man of the word. I'm going to take it serious. I'm going to grow in this. I'm going to get with my wife. She's going to hold me accountable. I'm going to meet with pastor. I'm going to meet with the elders. I'm going to come to Bible study. I'm going to do all these things. Why? Because I'm going to go anywhere I can, like the conference that I was at this week. I don't have time to go to that. I have absolutely no time to be at that conference. But I went there. Why? Steve Lawson, one of the greatest preachers of our day, and he's in D.C. I'm like, I don't have time to go to this. But as a pastor, I need to go and just sit and let the Word of God shower over me 
And let me tell you, I am drenched because I want to be a man of the word. So it is with you. should be the same thing. We have a pastor's conference in, in uh, May. Listen, you should be the first one to make your reservations with Dave Olson. Just to go there and just let the word grow in you. you should, listen, you should not miss any opportunity, lest it's work or family. That's about your only excuses. What else in life would you do that would replace this? There's no excuse. That's our hope. That's our plan. That's our goal. That's what God has called us to. Any questions as, as we're done? And I've, and, and I've just obliterated these notes, so please forgive me. But when you sit under preaching for the last two days, it, this is good because now I won't do this on Sunday. So you gave me an outlet. You just, saved our, you just served our church well because who knows what would have come out on Sunday. But, man, I just want you to know I love you. Whether you believe that or not, I, I really don't care because it's the truth. And if you, don't think, if you don't think it's true, then you have no idea how many hours I have labored over this to bring this to you. Yeah, I mean, you just, it's, it's love. I've told our church this. You will know I've stopped loving you when I bring you 20-minute sermons, right? That's the demonstration of my love, the work that's put into it, right? Because I care. And, of course, ultimately I'm doing it for my love for the Lord and pleasing Him. But I love you, man. I want you to know how good this was for me to go through this class with you. I am so thankful that you, most of you, all of you really, were so faithful to this. You persevered. You did the work. And I'm just saying, man, let's not stop. This doesn't need to end. Let's continue. You know, we do our Saturday study, which those of you who haven't been part of our Saturday study, literally, it's like, it's like this. It's like this. It's like we don't need to stop. Our men's retreat, like all of this, our Sunday mornings, there's no reason why groups of you can't get together. You know, we all have different friends and people. We, why can't you get together and keep working on this? Of course you can. I have so many studies we could do. Say, Pastor, there's three of us. Do you have a study? Yes. I have notes like this already done for 1 Samuel. Just take them. Go and do them. Like, there's so many things you could do. Like, don't, don't stop. Part of the reason why I did the notes the way I did them and all the verses that Tim was so helpful to point out to me. You know how many verses this is, Pastor? You know, you know why? This was basic training for you. I was trying, if you, if, and some of you did it, because I know, because you showed me and you told me and I saw it. You looked up all the verses. Listen, now just make that your life. Turn to the Word, just like basic training, right? You go through basic training as a military person. They run you into the ground. They teach you all these skills, not so that you stop doing it. So that becomes a way of life to you. It's how you think. It's how you live. Now, this should be it. You should just be reading, looking, looking for verses, going back and reading them, memorizing these, learning. That's, why, that's part of the reason why the structure was the way it was. It was intense, and it had a purpose to it. It was to grind us and try to break us and try to build us back up into men who will do this. So I'm imploring you with all that I can because I think it matters. And I'm, my heart is for you and your wife and your family and your kids and our church. I've said it, and I'm going to end with this. This church will only be, or Mac Church or any church, will only be as strong as the men that fill it. Not the women, not the children, not even the pastor, the, the men, plural. Starts with the pastor. That's the weight of this position starts with the elders then goes through the deacons but it keeps going eventually there's going to be a lid think about it right eventually there's going to be a stopping point there is whether you like it or not eventually there's a weak link 
Think about it. There's a weak link. Sadly, in the contemporary church, guess who the weak link almost always is? The pastor. So it must flow through him, and it must flow through all the elders. And the elders know this. Tom and Walter here, I've told them, don't be the weak link. Don't be the one guy on our board of six that won't let it flow out to the deacons. And then the deacons, don't be the weak link that stops it down to the laymen. And then those of you who are laymen, don't be that one guy. It's like, all right, it's, it's all stopped here with me. I'm the one that's holding it up. Listen, you could be. Think about the, the scary nature of that, that you could be the lid that's holding that back. Don't be that, man. Don't be that in any way. Tell Cheryl it's my fault. <laughs> Just say, pastor's on a roll. She probably already knows. But don't be that, man. Bind together and be the man of God. Father God, we love you. We thank you for just the blessing of being able to, to, to strive together as hard as it is. But Lord, uh, how joyous it is to see your work in us, to see you changing us. This is your plan. Your plan was never to make us holy in a moment. You could have done it. Your plan has always been to do it over time, and you are doing it. Thank you. Lord, thank you for the struggle. Thank you for the pain. Thank you for the failure. Thank you for how all of those things bring us to the end of ourself because we are our greatest problem. Thank you for how all of that elevates our greatest hope, Christ. We see him clear when we see ourselves rightly. Thank you for that glorious truth of giving us your son. May he be our greatest joy. May he be our greatest pursuit and pleasure. Help us now, each of these men who are a blessing on so many levels, Encourage them to fight the good fight of faith that they may too one day stand before you and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Help us now in this endeavor. For the glory of your name we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brothers. Well, we couldn't leave you at the end without giving you a very clear gospel message. In Romans chapter 3, roundabout verse 23, simply says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The thing about it is God is holy and we are sinful. Uh, Verse 23 says, all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift. So the thing about it is, when we realize that we're sinful and that God is holy, uh, then we are in the place where we understand that we, by ourselves, cannot do anything for our salvation. We have to completely and fully rely on God, because there's no way that we can adopt ourselves into the family of God. And what God does is he sends his son in the form of flesh and he lives the perfect life, fulfills the law completely and has become our righteousness and has died for our sins in our place. The judgment and propitiates. Uh, that's what uh, the, that big word in in verse 25 says. It's the propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And that's the last part. We have to have that faith. We have to repent and believe and then walk by faith in him and believe and understand that we are his and that uh, he has provided a way for us to see that holy God. 
Thank you all for tuning in to the Truth Talks podcast. Once again, if you want more information on how to join our Bible study, uh, and this is open to all churches. This is not just open to the men of our church. This is open. We have a bunch of different uh, churches that have actually been showing up week by week, pastors as well that have been showing up because it's not about uh, the pastor or the church. It's really about the word of God, and that's what is being, uh, is being presented and what's prevalent. But please email us at info at bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Once again, that's info at bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Thank you all for tuning in. And uh, also, you can follow us on Instagram. Uh, the Truth Talks podcast is on Instagram. You'll get updates about what's coming out and uh, where we're going. So please follow us on Instagram if you're on Instagram. Uh, some of us not, are not, but it's okay. Uh, but we do have a, uh, a place, a landing spot where you can look for us. Thank you all for tuning in. Take care. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Bellcroft Bible Church.